Uh, my name is Mark Ferguson. You saw a brief introduction of my family, my wife, Christy, and our four children, Connor, Micah, Carly, and Anna. And we have been serving the Lord uh, in the nation of Moldova, the Republic of Moldova, for the past three years. And uh, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about that tonight because we want you to come back out, or today we want you to come back out this evening. Um, oftentimes people respond when we say Moldova, they say, where's Moldova? Um, when I first heard the name, I was not exactly sure where it was at. It's a small country in Eastern Europe. And uh, the Lord called us to Moldova about four years ago, and we've spent the last three years serving the Lord there. And uh, the Lord has really blessed our time, and he's given us a heart for the people of Moldova. It's an amazing country, amazing people, and the Lord is doing some great work there. So we hope that you'll come out this evening. Uh, we're going to share some pictures and a little more information about how the Lord's been working in the nation of Moldova. Our brother mentioned earlier this concept of the joy that it is to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I do just want to echo that sentiment. It's such a joy to be here with you all. Um, you may say, well, how did you guys get down here to southern Florida? We were blessed to meet Dave and Nancy Bosworth at the MOP, Missionary, Missionary Orientation Program, about four years ago as we were preparing to go to Moldova. And we struck up a friendship with them, and they have kept in contact with us. And, and I know um, shared probably some about our work and, and kept us before the body here. Uh, and when we came home on furlough, they invited us to come. So if there's any way you can come to South Florida, please do. So we were happy to take that invitation. It's a joy to be here. We joined the people who were above you last week uh, watching this huge storm cross uh, into, into your area and prayed that God would spare and uh, be gracious. And we praise the Lord that um, our plans allowed us to still come down and be with you. Now, as I share about, um, I, I want to share an encouragement to you this morning from the Word of God. And I pray, I pray, I pray that it will be an encouragement. As a missionary, when you travel around from churches that are not your own, uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard many missionaries and, and you've probably been encouraged by them, your heart is that, oh, may I just uh, bless these people as we go in and have the opportunity to share about what God's doing in our lives. And I want to tell you just briefly a little bit about myself. Um, I was saved at the age of 23 while I was in college. After living a life of, of sinfulness and worldliness and just walking away uh, with no interest or concern about God, and God reached into my life and he saved me radically. And, I, and he gave me uh, the ability to, to see Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. And Jesus Christ washed away all of my sins. He set me free from my sin and guilt and I was a new creature in Jesus Christ. And I was in college and I was learning and I, and I had a certain, certain course that I was on. But Jesus got a hold of my heart and he kept beckoning me toward myself. And he kept showing me his truth through the word of God as I began to study it. And he gave me a heart to follow him. And at one point when I was a few years older after being saved, I committed my heart to follow Jesus. Jesus, you have bought me. You, you died for my sins. You washed away my filth. And you've given me the gift of eternity life, eternal life. What else would I do but give my heart and my life and my all to follow you? And I've been in that adventure of following Jesus Christ for the last 20 some odd years. And I want to tell you, it's been a great joy. What Jesus Christ has done in my life, I can hardly believe it. What he has saved me from, I can't, I can't even understand. And what he has brought me to, things that I thought I would never be able to be a part of, never to be able to attain. And he's been so faithful and he's been so good. And so I come humbly this morning with thanksgiving to God that I might stand here this morning and be able to share from his word to you. And I want to bring the encouragement from this regard. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm one who has offered my heart to Jesus Christ. It's not a great offering, but it's all I have, and it's my best gift to him. And I'm asking him to use me. And I'm asking him to guide me in his will for the purpose that Jesus Christ might be glorified in me. And that's your heart too, isn't it? So I'm a brother bringing a message to my brothers and sisters with the same heart 
That same passion, that same desire. Oh God, just use me. Show me your will. And you, my sweet Savior, be glorified in me. Now, as I mentioned, we, we endeavored um, about four and a half years ago. My wife went out, and I went out on our anniversary. And by the time we left that anniversary meal, a, few, a couple hours together away from the kids, the first kind of break date we'd had in a while, we walked away from that evening saying, you know what, I, we believe God has laid on our hearts foreign missions. We'd been serving the Lord in various capacities throughout our marriage. We were believers, and, and we committed our hearts to follow God on the altar that day. And God used us in various capacities. And, and we had spent the last eight years focusing on, on pouring into the hearts of our children as my wife was homeschooling them, and we were, we were involved in different areas of ministry. And on that night, we really felt we came together and we said, you know, this is what we want. We have this desire, and perhaps this is of the Lord. And so we committed to a season of six months of quiet prayer. Let's just pray about it and ask God if this is indeed what he's doing. And if not, it'll pass. It was just a good idea, but it'll go away. But if it's of the Lord, it will last. And after a few months, we began to talk to the people that we loved, that we knew would be prayer warriors for us, and told them what God had laid on our hearts and asked them to pray. And God began to confirm that he was moving a specific direction in our lives. He was going to, to open the door for us, something that had been on our heart for a long time and we'd waited for and, and, and looked down different paths. And God said, no, not now. Do this, do this, not yet. And now he's opened the door. And so about three years ago, we, pass, we, we packed up everything in our home. And we put it what we what we could fit into a small twenty foot container, and we sent it to Moldova, and we followed it over there, trusting the Lord. Lord, use us. Show us your plan. And I want to tell you right now, it was amazing three years. I hope you come tonight because um, you know it's it's not a glorious story, but it's a glorious story to us because God allowed us to be a part of what He was doing. He used us in different ways. And, and in a situation that's very, very difficult, God was faithful at every turn, meeting every need, showing himself faithful, coming in when we needed divine help and lifting our heads when we needed encouragement. And so we praise God for that. But I also want to testify to you this morning that it was very, very difficult. It was extremely hard. And there were some challenges that we expected you know, not knowing the language, going into a new culture. But then there were other things that we never could have seen coming. Things that really surprised us. Things that caused us a lot of challenge and a lot of difficulty. And what I want to say this morning is that, you know what, it is difficult to serve Jesus Christ. I, I, we'll hear all kinds of messages about what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. But it's difficult to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Give him your whole life and give it to him for a whole lifetime, unreservedly, come what may, and to finish the course. And I say that because I've seen it. I've experienced it in my own life. And trust me, my, my challenges and my difficulties are not as significant as some. And it has nothing to do with being a missionary or not being a missionary. It has to do with committing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's challenging. And I have heard story after story in talking to committed saints, people who, who, who ooze the presence of Jesus. The Spirit of God is just alive in them. They're lovely people. And yet they suffer. And they go through difficult things. And I hear the stories again and again about the challenges that they face. And you know, to be honest, if we read through the pages of this scripture from cover to cover, we see that that's a true testimony. For those that follow God, it is no walk in the park. Jesus is looking for people who will make, God is looking for people who will make a commitment to him and keep it no matter what. Come what may. I will stay with you, Jesus. To follow Jesus 
trials will come. Trials will come. It's important that we understand that. And it's important that we know that these trials, when they come, they are going to test our resolve. Sometimes we might find ourselves at a crossroads. It feels like a crisis of faith. And it is. We have a decision to make. This Jesus that we signed up with, this God that we said we would follow, the one that we gave everything to, we always have the opportunity to reconsider, do we not? And just take back a little bit. To look at the situation and say, say, God, I did not expect this. God, this is harder than what I signed up for. God, I'm not sure if I can press on any longer. And we might find ourselves at times tempted not to leave Jesus altogether, but just veer slightly onto a path with a little less resistance. You see, when we come to Christ, there's a great commitment asked of us. Paul says it this way in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul pulls no punches. What is the right thing for you to do in light of the first 11 verse chapters in the book of Romans, seeing the grace of God, the salvation through Christ, freedom from sin, eternal life? The right thing for you is to take your whole self, all of you unreservedly, and lay it on the altar of death and sacrifice. Be slain in yourself and say, God, I am only and all for you. Jesus would make the same request very clearly in Luke chapter 14. If you'll turn there, we'll read some of these passages. In verses 26 and 27, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Father, we pray this morning that you might pierce our hearts with these words. And if there are walls around our hearts, we pray that you might pierce through our hardness so that we would really see and understand what it is you ask of us and what it is you're doing in your life and what it is you're trying to accomplish in us and through us. And what you're trying to accomplish through the trials and the little details of our individual lives. And we pray that you'll have your way in us and that you'll work your will and that you'll be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So this great commitment is asked of us. But you know what? Jesus knew when he called for disciples... He knew that there would be struggles. Jesus never, ever watered down this truth. He said things like, in this world, you will have troubles. He gives the illustration to the disciples. If, if I'm here and I'm righteous and I'm God and I come into this world and the world hates me and I'm persecuted, if you follow me and you're like me, won't the, won't the world also persecute and hate you as well? Jesus made it very clear. And we see in the remainder of uh, these, these verses in Luke 14, in verses 27 through 32, that he wants to make it very clear to those who are listening. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, 
saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first, consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Jesus challenges those who are listening to count the cost. Understand what is being asked of you. Don't enter into this endeavor of, of claiming to be my disciple like some foolish builder who says and announces to everybody, hey, I'm going to build a tower. And I've thought about this a lot. I suppose a tower back in Jesus' day was extremely hard to build. And I bet it took a lot of work and a lot of resources. And my thinking is uh, they don't have all the implements we have that the higher the tower gets, the harder it is to finish it. But this guy boasts, he comes in with all this zeal, and he's going to build a tower showing something about himself. And he begins the process, and he lays the foundation, and he begins laying a few rounds. And somewhere in the process, he realizes, you know what, this is a very costly endeavor. It's costing more than I expected. And man, as, as it gets higher and higher, it's, it's harder to get those things up there. I don't know. He didn't count the cost. He didn't consider it. And he bails on the project. He quits the work. And as a testimony always, as people would pass by, they would see a partially built tower. They would say, hey, look, a guy started to build a tower and he didn't finish it. Jesus says, don't follow me like that. Don't let that be your testimony and your life. Count the cost. He gives another illustration of a king who has an army. And there's an opponent, and he looks at this opponent, and he sees that this opponent is actually larger than him and powerful. We need to think of the, symbol, uh, the symbolism about this for our own lives in following Christ. We fight a foe who is very large and powerful. And he says, as you endeavor in this, you are going to face some challenges. This is not going to be an easy battle. There's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be casualties. There's going to be cost. And you need to make sure that you count the cost and you can stick with the battle and you can fight to the very end. You see, Jesus knew that some would be unwilling to pay the price. I think of the rich young ruler. Remember the young guy that came to Jesus and he'd heard of the Messiah. He probably knew the Old Testament that a Messiah was coming. And he does all this work to seek out Jesus and find him. And when he gets to Jesus, he starts presenting his own self-righteousness. He starts, he starts really showing that he's dependent upon himself and his own resources for his righteousness and his goodness. And Jesus sees right into his heart and he says, well, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you need to give up everything you have. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus knew that there were things in the way of this man from following God and giving his whole heart to Jesus. And he knew that that was what God expected and he knew that that was the right response. And this young man because he had a lot of worldly resources, because he was a pretty good person. He looked at the Savior that day, the Savior of the world who would shed his blood for his own sin. And he would say, in essence, no, it's okay. I'm going to go on. I'm going to hold on to those things. I'm going to hold on to my riches, and I'm going to hold on to my righteousness. I can't follow you, Jesus. You know, folks, there are going to be people that we run into. We may know them in our families. They may be our neighbors next door. It might be your own heart right now, some of you. You have the opportunity to see Jesus. You look him in the face. He says, here I am, the Savior of the world. I have died to take away your sins. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And some will turn away. And they'll keep going, trusting in whatever it is they're putting their trust in. And it says that he went away sad. Jesus knew that some would rush in with great zeal and then fall flat when the costs rose too high. We, saw it, we see it throughout the story of Jesus' life. 
There were massive crowds that came to, to see what was going on, this talk of the Messiah, this Jesus, and some were there to be touched by the Savior, but some were there just to see the show. They wanted to see if Jesus had anything for them. And when Jesus began to talk about death and suffering and going to the cross and dying for sins, the crowds started to dwindle. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem, in the, in the final week of his life, there were crowds. Here comes the Messiah. He's coming to rescue us from Rome. But by the time he was beaten and bloodied and on his way to the cross, there were only a few who continued to follow him. This is no temporary commitment that Jesus is offering. It's not a trial offer with a money-back guarantee. It will have great challenges, costs, casualties, and sacrifices. He encourages us to count the cost. Now, Jesus, the scripture tells us that Jesus wasn't always tempted like we were, but yet without sin. In this miracle that we can't fully get our brains around, he was fully God, and yet he was fully man, so he was able to understand our plight, understand our suffering, and be an adequate sacrifice for us, having never sinned in his godliness. He knew the tension that would arise when godliness collided with a fallen world. He knew that crises would come and challenge our commitment. You see, Jesus understands fully, for he was God, and he came down and dwelt upon the earth, made himself a servant, and died for our sins, and we see this struggle between his godliness and his humanness in the Garden of Gethsemane as he cried out, Oh God, must I suffer this? If there's any way, Lord, can you take this cup from me? And then he said those, those dear words that we all long to cry out in our hearts, Lord, but not my will, but yours be done. He knew that our flesh would be vulnerable to temptation. Remember on that night in the garden how he came back to the disciples and he said, your spirit's willing, but your flesh, it's weak, it's temptable. He knew the condition of our hearts. He knew that you and I would love comfort. He knew that we would love pleasure. We knew, he knew that we would have this desire always to try to control all the details of our lives to make it work out better for ourselves. He knew that we might strive to insulate ourselves from the harsh realities of our fallenness rather than follow Jesus in his footsteps into the path of suffering. Jesus knew that we would live in a godless worldly culture that would promote hedonism, humanism, and self-fulfillment. And that these philosophies that we live in would impact our faith walk. We spent three years outside of America, and things are a little different in Moldova. There's not nearly the prosperity not nearly the systems in place, not real, nearly access to as many things as that we have here in America. And I can be honest with you. When God called me to Moldova, I didn't have a bit of struggle with going over. I was excited. I was invigorated by what God was calling us to do. And we went over there and we lived simply and very humbly among very poor people for three years. And now that we come back, and I remember all that we have here in America. All oh, the beaches and, and the stores, the grocery stores with so much selection. Everything you want at your fingertips. In Moldova, we prayed and prayed and prayed, God, please don't let us get sick because we will die in that hospital. They can't help us. It's worse to go to the hospital than it is to get sick. And we come to America and we have every resource. We have so much help. We expect a fix for every problem. And these are good things. We're a rich nation. We are blessed by God. But as believers, sometimes we can grow to take these things for granted and begin to love them and begin to idolize them and let them take the place 
of God in our lives. It's an environment that we live in and sometimes it subtly sneaks in and takes a place on the throne of our hearts. We see it in religion as well. We're not, we're not immune to it. We, we all know and, and we talk about you know that, that uh, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Get your best life now. God is for you. He is obligated to make your life everything that you want it to be. His obligation is to fulfill your passions. It's not true. It's not what the Scripture teaches, and it will creep its way into our minds and not drive us far off course into to living like hellions, but it will water down our faith and it will make us bargaining Christians where we say, God, I will serve you as long as you serve me. As long as you do it my way. As long as we're working together in partnership. But if you fail me or you disappoint me, I might just be tempted to veer myself a little off course and take back a little more control of my own destiny. Because the world I live in says if you want it, you can get it. And if you desire it, you should have it. Jesus knew we would live in that kind of a world. And Jesus knew that Satan hates us. He knew that Satan hates our commitment. He hates our message. You remember Jesus underwent some pretty heavy temptation from Satan. And just as Satan tempted Christ to take any path but the path to the cross, the path of suffering. Remember what it was? Turn that stone into bread. Take care of yourself. Worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms. Cast yourself down and show your power and glory. Don't go to the cross. You can have your glory right now. And Satan will tempt us the same way. You know, sometimes we think if, if we're under the attack of Satan, he's, he's going to hit us with all of his worst. He's going to try to drag us into hell. But all Satan really has to do to you and I to draw us off, off course is to move us just a little bit outside of the will of God. Where we're following any other motivation than Jesus Christ. And he's crafty. And he's good at it. And he knows how to worm his way specifically into our hearts to make us ineffective for the gospel. He'll tempt us to abandon God's will and take a path of greater peace and comfort where we might settle in a little more comfortably into the warm waters of the world. And you know, Jesus knew that these trials would bring us to crossroads in our faith. That they would challenge our faith. That they might, at a worst case scenario, cause us to start to have questions about God. Maybe you know this conversation. God, I was following you. I was doing what you wanted me to do. I was being obedient. I thought I was a good servant. How could you let this happen to me? Lord, are you there? Lord, are you really good? And Satan tries to worm his way into our faith. Our thoughts about God. And he tries to get us to doubt God. Are you even real? Did you really save me? Can I still trust you? How do we gain victory through such trials? How do we keep up this faith walk when the challenges come, when we meet those crossroads where what we expected to happen does not happen? How do we avoid from saying, you know, God, forget it. 
I'm going this way. It looks a whole lot easier. Well, the first thing is this, that we, we have to embrace the trials and challenges of our life as a vital part of our faith walk. Brothers and sisters, if you are following Christ, Jesus said you will have troubles. And I don't want to judge anybody, but I would say if your life is all peaches and cream, you can finish the sentence. We have to look at our hearts before God. Jesus says, if you're my disciple and you follow in my footsteps and I suffered, then you were going to run into some challenges and some difficulties. They will come. We need to embrace them as a vital part of our faith walk. We know the passages, James 1, verses 2 and 3. Brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials of many kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith develops patience. And then he gives this picture that this patience, it's doing its perfect work in you to try you and purify you and make you complete. Paul says it in Romans 5. Verses 1 through 5, he says, We rejoice in the glory of the Lord, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. How? Suffering brings perseverance. It teaches us how to stand for Christ. Perseverance builds our character. It grows us into the conformity of Christ. And as we walk through and gain character and we win the victory, it establishes our hope because God's poured out His Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have Jesus inside of us. And we, when we hold on and we persevere through that trial, God works in us. He succeeds in showing us His will and He makes us more like Jesus Christ. It is part of the perfecting process for us. We are, if you will, like an like an acorn. And we go into the ground and we die. And life bursts forth when we see Jesus Christ as Savior. We see our sin and Jesus Christ comes and makes us new. And behold, the old is gone, the new has come. And we begin the process of growth. But we are a sapling, just a seedling, and it takes the, the work of God building our faith over time, working into our lives through tr trials that test and purify us, that cause us to grow a little bit stronger. It's a beautiful picture. A sapling is not very strong. A child cannot hang from its branches. Uh, an enemy could come and push it over. But if the winds come and blow upon that tree and it reaches its roots into the ground and it seeks God's Word and it falls on God in prayer, then the growth comes and it becomes stronger and stronger. And, and, and over time, it's a little stronger than it was before. And then another storm will come and blow upon its branches and it will strengthen and reach down into God even more and it will become even stronger and stronger. And over time... People can come and hang on the branches. They'll find life there. They'll find the fruit of that life. And the forces can come and push upon it and try to take it down and it will not move. The trials are important to our growth. We need to embrace the trials as a vital part of our faith walk. And then we have another gift. We need to embrace the cloud of witnesses. We have such a great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before you and me. And you know, even though we have this great cloud of witnesses, brothers and sisters, I understand when you're in the midst of your own trial, you go, where is God? Where is everybody? I am the only one who's ever gone through this. And I know for me, I'm embarrassed sometimes at the things that make me say that. When I read the stories of the great saints of faith and the great missionaries, and then I look at my problems and I'm like, what are you whining about? But you know what? 
God knows how strong I am. Or should I say God knows how weak I am. God knows every sinful attitude and thought in my mind and heart. And he is the perfect physician. He's the perfect prescriber of exactly what I need to grow to the next level of faith. My trial will not be the same as yours. We have a brother in our assembly who lost his wife who was 40 years old. And when I think of him, I think, oh, the trial, the heartache, three young sons. How will he survive? And I see him and he's rich in the Lord and he's walking in faith and he's held on to Jesus. God will use different trials. He'll handpick them for you. And he will not give you a temptation that you will not be able to bear up under. With it, he will give you a way out. He will strengthen you if you recognize that it will not break you. It is not his will to, to crush you. It is his will to work in your heart. And take you to a new level of faith and make you stronger than you were. That you might follow his will and you might glorify him. Think of Joseph. What a man. Thrown in a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery as a young man. Taken to a place where he was probably the only believer in God in the whole nation. Of anybody I could justify, it would be Joseph. Just say, you know, forget God. And I wonder if Joseph had that struggle in his heart when he was in the pit and on his way to slavery and then again later in prison. But he held on to his faith. He'd heard stories of this great God who could save and deliver. And he held on with all, of he had, all that he had. And God worked in his life. And he put Joseph on firm footing and he blessed him. He worked his will in Joseph. Remember when the brothers came and he said, God did all this so that I could preserve life. What a faith. What about Peter? Oh, he struggled so much, but he held on to Jesus. And he was crucified for his faith. What about John? John the Baptist. What about Adoniram Judson? Have you read his story? He's lost so much as he took, took the gospel to Burma and lost his young child and lost his wife and suffered so much and he continued to serve the Lord and serve the Lord. What about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot? I mean, murdered on the beach and then she goes back and leads a village to Christ. What about Corey Tinboom? And so on and so on. Are you reading missionary stories to your children? Tell them about this great cloud of witnesses. Strengthen their faith by it. And what about the Apostle Paul? Oh, he's such a great example for us. Probably there is none better to challenge us and make us feel small in our walk of faith, but yet to inspire us. Paul was touched by the grace of God. We know the story. He was on the Damascus Road persecuting Christ himself. And, and Jesus came and showed himself to him. And, and Paul was radically transformed. And he gave his life to follow Jesus. He called himself a bondservant. Jesus, you've done all for me and I am now just your slave. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, and, and life went really well for Paul. Right? No, Paul, man, he struggled. Look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. If we read through the book of Acts, we could get a longer story about some of his trials, but he summarizes them for us in Second Corinthians 11, in verses 23 through 28. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often." 
in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. What a precious soul. What, what a huge list of trials. Uh, normal trials that could fall upon different people, but then, and then he highlights this other piece that's true for us as believers, isn't it? My concern for others. You know, that's a difference, or it should be a difference between, between us as followers of Jesus Christ and the rest of the world, whatever they do or whatever they're following, is that he has loved us and he's asked us to love others as we love ourselves. And so we love each other. This body is deeply connected, not by blood, family blood, but by the blood of Christ. And it knits you together and you care for one another. And you carry each other's burdens because you know that that's what Christ has done for you and called you to do. And for the lost, you ever just cry out for the lost? Oh God, there are people dying and going to hell. There are people so lost in sin. There are people so uh, self-destructing. And they have access to the God of love. And we carry this burden for others. And Paul says, man, I've been, I've been through a lot. But if we turn back to chapter 4, I want to just conclude with a few thoughts from Paul. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul's always hopeful. Look at verses 8 and 9. I studied these words and I'm not going to go into it because there's not time this morning, but it's an interesting study. And, and, and essentially what Paul's doing is in, in each of these comparisons, he says... Things are bad, but they're not as bad as they could be. And in that, he, he holds out a little bit of hope. He understands that though things are bad in my life, God is with me. Though, though there are great difficulties, it's not over yet. God is still at work and he's still in control and he's still sovereign over my life. So we're hard pressed on every side. It has the idea of having pressures that are actually putting ruts into you, like ruts into the ground. And he says, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. That one gives the idea that, man, I'm really befuddled on what's going on here, Lord. I, I didn't expect it this way. I'm confused. I'm a lost. I'm disoriented. But it's not to the point of despair where you just fall on the ground and say, I quit. It's over. Yes, there's perplexity, there's confusion, there's struggle in understanding what God is doing, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. There are forces chasing after us, but there is a force with us who is greater than those forces that are chasing after us. So we are not abandoned or forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul holds on to hope. And I want us just to look at his words in verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Do you hear the hope in that? Brothers and sisters, our bodies are dying. We can't stop it. The best doctors can't stop it. The best hospital systems can't stop it. The best science is not going to stop it. Our flesh is going to pass away into the dust. But God is working in us. And it's a work that He started and He will complete. And it will not stop. It will be perfected. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Though our body is dying, the spiritual man in us... Day by day, as God pours his mercies into our lives, is being renewed and improved. And we have the ability progressively to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Verse 17, for our light affliction is, is but for a moment, and it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's a beautiful verse. You know... He's listed this amazing, ridiculous list of hardships. 
And Paul has the perspective, the perspective to say, these are just a little light and momentary troubles. Like, what, Paul? Now, mine are light and momentary. <laughs> They're light, but that's a heavy list. And what Paul's saying is, they're light and momentary in comparison. In comparison to what? What's coming. The glory that will be revealed. You see, I've got these temporal things that are binding me down. They're causing me problems. They're keeping me from sleeping. They're, they're keeping me from, from not enjoying life to its fullest. They're really bogging me down. And if I focus on those, they will consume me. But if I keep my eyes fixed on those things that are eternal, and I believe what I know to be true about God, that He has saved me, that He is good, that He is sovereign, that He is all-powerful, and that He is working all things out for His good and His glory. And, and, and I take this scale, and I've got my little ball of troubles here sitting on this scale, and I take the, enormous, the enormity of the grace of God and the glory of God, and I put it on that scale. It does not compare. It's the grace of God. It's eternal life in Jesus Christ. And my trials seem big if I focus on them and look at them from every angle, but if I look at them through the lens of Jesus Christ and what He's accomplished for me, they become light and momentary. And I see that they will not break me. And in fact, in Jesus Christ, they will make me what He desires for me to become. We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The grace of God, the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the all power of our great God. Those are the things we look at. Jesus calls for disciples who will hear his call, count the cost, and commit all to follow him, come what may. There will be a cost. We will take hits. We will suffer blows. We may at times question whether we can go on. We might come to that point where we say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm beaten down. I'm not sure whether I can go on. I'm feeling the weight and the pressure of all of these things. I, I'm tempted, Lord, to turn to an easier path. So, brothers and sisters, we need to encourage one another. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as we see the day approaching, as we see the world growing darker. We need to come together and encourage one another. Give your heart to Jesus Christ, give Him everything. Maybe you've done it in the past and you said, Jesus, I give you my all. And if you looked honestly today and you opened your heart before a holy God, you would say, you know what, I know I've taken some things back. And Father, Father God, Jesus, I give it all back to you again. It's the right and reasonable thing for me to do. I cannot be your disciple unless I give up all and follow you. It's what you ask and it's what you deserve. Brothers and sisters, stay the course. Lean into Him. Hold on. He will revive and sustain you. He is working all things together for your good. His victory is sure. He will grow your faith. He will strengthen you for battle. He will complete His will. And He will glorify Himself in you. I'd like to close with one passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verses 6 through 8. In light of, of what we've heard this morning, just let these words sink into your heart with whatever you're facing in your life right now. In this, that you are kept by God through faith, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, 
which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Hudson Taylor said these words, and we'll just close with these. And I want you to think about your commitment to Christ and where your heart is at this moment. Maybe you're not a believer. Even now, Jesus beckons, as he did to the rich young ruler. I'm the Savior, and I will save you if you will but come and recognize your sin and put your trust in me. Maybe you're walking and you know that my heart is not where it needs to be with Jesus. The great thing about Jesus is that when we come to the altar and we offer in repentance, he takes us back wholeheartedly right away. And if you're on a mountaintop with Jesus, I praise the Lord for it. Hudson Taylor said, In the gladness of my heart, I poured out my soul before God, again and again confessing my grateful love to him who had done everything for me. I besought him to give me some work to do, For him, as an outlet of love and gratitude, some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying or trivial, with which he would be pleased and that I might do for him who had done so much for me. I put myself, my life, my friends, my all upon the altar. For what service I was accepted, I did not know, but a deep consciousness that I was no longer my own took full possession of me and has never left. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace to us. We thank you for how you love us. And we thank you for how you know each one of us and you desire to cause us to grow into your likeness. Lord, we thank you that it's your desire that we walk firmly in the center of your will and that you will help us And you will keep us and you will protect us as we offer ourselves to you. God, forgive us when we stray. We thank you that you know and understand the trials and the struggles that we go through and all the things that we're battling. But we thank you that when you told us we would have troubles in this world, you gave us another promise. You have overcome. And you are our power, and you are our strength, and you are our hope. Lord, help each one of us where we're at. Encourage us, and Lord, our hearts cry, as we said in the beginning, is that you would just take us. This humble offering that we have, that we are, that you might save us, and then clean us up for your work, equip us, Help us to walk in your will that you, Jesus, might be glorified in us. Who is sufficient for these things? We thank you for your amazing grace through Jesus Christ. Amen.